Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Josh and I are strangers in the night. Every time we try to get together and do something other than like hike or hang out, we're always, I got transferred, by the way. I didn't like go get a job. And so I was like, hey, come with us. And they're like, hey, this opportunity, we need you to go. So, um. well, good morning, Flourishing Grace. Greetings from the city of Philadelphia. That's, I'm outside of Philadelphia. How many of you know the city of Philadelphia have had the privilege of visiting the city of brotherly love? The rumors are not true about how wicked, vicious we are as fans for any, uh, for any of you that are scared. My wife, Danae, and I uh, love what is going on here at Flourishing Grace. We love Josh and Desiree deeply. They are, you have a good, good man uh, in the role that he's serving here and your staff here doing a great work. So I'm grateful to be with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 65, but as you're turning there, Psalm 65, it's on page 274 in your Bibles. If you have one, uh, great. If you don't, there's one underneath your seats. You can turn to page number 274, Psalm 65. While you're turning there, uh, the mission of the soul. If you think about what is the, the mission of our soul, every human being's mission, their soul, their longing, what would it be? To, to accomplish a mission is, is something akin to uh, completing a task that must, be co- that must be completed. How many of you have a dog? Does anybody have a dog in here, a pet dog? We have just acquired a dog from our friends. His name's Augie. He's a black lab. He's eight years old, and, and they have three little children. I have three bigger children, and, and my friend was like, hey, listen, on the weekends when we go away, can you watch Augie? We're like, absolutely. Our boys love Augie. He's perfectly trained. He poops outside. He eats where he's supposed to. He doesn't, he doesn't bark at any strangers too much. He's a, a, a lab. He loves people. So when we watched him, uh, we're like, sure, great, we have a fenced-in yard, but what my boys will tend to do is they will tend to leave the gate open, and Augie wanders. And so the first day of watching Augie, this dog that we're watching for our friends, uh, we go to bed, and uh, I have not been accustomed to having a dog, and so I'm about to lay down, it's about 11 at night, and I, I feel the sense that something is wrong. I'm like, man, something's not right. Did you turn out the light, hon? Yeah, did you? Did, the boys are in bed, right? Yes. So I laid down, and I was like, Augie! It's kind of like Home Alone, that movie. It's like, Kevin! Augie! And I realized I had let Augie out at like 7 in the evening, and I had forgotten to bring him back in. And so when I went outside to look for this dog, the gate was open, and Augie was nowhere to be found. So I got in my car, and I was driving all around the town that we live in, Westchester, which is a grid system. I was driving up and down, trying to find a random dog, a black lab at night, wandering through the town that we live in. I was on a mission to find that dog. Finally, somebody uh, had called the number on the collar, and the next morning, our friends who were in Pittsburgh trying to get away from the, the problems of life on a little bit of a honeymoon retreat for, uh, uh, after, you know, 10 years of marriage, they're like, hey, listen, Augie's somewhere down the road at some house. You can go pick them up. We felt so stupid. I was like, we were going to call you, I swear, but we just wanted to find that dog before they called you. Eventually, they bought a collar with the number of our, our home number so that when we lost him again, which we did, and then we lost him again. Uh, finally, they gave him to us. And so now Augie's our dog. And uh, he, we've learned a lesson. He doesn't wander as much. Have you ever felt that? Like, I have to, I have to find this dog. I have to accomplish this mission. This, there's a longing 
driving us to, to find that thing that will satisfy, that thing that will complete the task that will make us feel at rest. I was not at rest until that dog was going to be in my yard. Whether it's your keys, your wallet, maybe a child that you lose for just a nanosecond, you think, where's my, where's my son, where's my daughter? Something inside is driving you to accomplish that task of finding that lost thing. When I was in college, I had a longing that I had tried to pursue so many different things that let me down. There was something in my heart relationally. I was trying to find significance in this thing, and then I was trying to find significance in this relationship, and then I was trying to find accomplishment in this, and they all let me down, and I came to a moment in my life where I realized, man, these things are letting me down, and it's what led me to pursue Christ and to say, you know what? I, have, I, I know that Jesus promised life and life to the fullest, and I had grown up in the church, and I had said the words that I was a Christian, that I was a lover of Jesus, but really, if you looked at my life, it was not true. It looked like I was seeking so many other things, but yet not, it, was, it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. And the moment I began to pursue Christ, the, it was the moment that my soul began to feel that longing, that satisfaction beginning to be fulfilled. And it was because I was pursuing the one who created me to pursue him. And that's what led me to North Africa. That's what led me to meet Josh. I joined staff. I, I met my wife my senior year of college, and we got married and went to Penn State, and then they asked us to go to North Africa. Why would you go to North Africa? Well, because the longing that was in my heart, I was convinced, was in every human heart. And the longing that was in every human being, when they don't have the opportunity to hear that there is one who's created them to satisfy the deepest longing in their heart, where they're like, is this it? Is what led us to go talk to students in North Africa who needed to hear the message that Jesus satisfies the longing in their hearts. I'll never forget, I was riding on a, a bus. We were in the middle. We were coming from uh, the city called Marrakesh, and we were on a bus. And I'll never forget driving at like 60 miles an hour, whizzing by these, these villages between major cities where there's just nothingness, 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 then a random village, then nothing, just desert. And I remember passing this one village, and it was kind of like a scene in a movie where we were coming up upon a village, and I saw off in the distance a, a, a woman and a child walking towards the road. She was holding his hand, and I'll never forget, we just were driving by, and I saw her approach, and we're driving by this village in the middle of nowhere where a woman and her child were walking towards the road in the middle of nowhere, and we just passed them, and I looked out the window, and it's like that. They just zoom. And I remember thinking to myself, is anyone, I wonder what her life is like. Will that child ever grow up knowing that there's a God that loves him? Are they, are they doomed to never hear the message that there is a Savior who has come for them to reconcile them back to their Creator? Are they ever going to have their longing fulfilled in the way that I'm experiencing this, this longing being fulfilled? And what is it? Who is it that fulfills our longing? Well, it's the God of our salvation. You see, the mission of our soul is to, to pursue the God who saves us. And in Psalm 65, the, the writer in the next few Psalms, 65, 66, 67, they're Psalms that speak about the salvation of, of, of their people, of the God of their 
people. The Israelites had a God that rescued them from slavery. If you know the story of the Jewish people, they were, they were rescued from slavery from the Egyptians. And so when we think about this God that we're pursuing, I want you to look at Psalm 65 and just briefly we'll, we'll, we'll skim through it and we'll say, okay, who is this God that satisfies the longing of our souls? Are you ready? Any of you ta- note takers? If you're note takers, here you go. I'm gonna give you four things that we see, okay? Four things. Psalm 65, we see that the one who satisfies the longing of our souls is a God one who saves, a God who saves. He's a God who is relational, a God who is relational. He's a God who is mighty, and he's a God who provides. Look with me at Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. Your water, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. And they shout and they sing together. For joy. Who is this God of our salvation? He's a God who saves. Look, he says, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is the city of God. Zion is the place which, which with David's son Solomon would build the temple, and the hope was that God would dwell with his people, and it was there that they would worship God, and they would praise God, and these vows that are performed, like, God, if you will do this for me, I promise that I will worship you and praise you all my life. The vows are made because this is a God that's worthy of me pursuing and giving all of my life for. Who is this God? Well, one, he's a God who saves. Look at verse two. He says, oh, you who hear prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is us speaking to God. You know, you can speak to God anywhere. It's in your living room. It's, it's out in your car when you're like, oh, Lord, please don't. Like, you know, if someone in your family is a crazy driver, I drive all the time. I'm the family driver, the chauffeur. When my wife drives, this is no knock on my wife. She's a great driver. But I can't stand being in the passenger seat anymore. Do you know what I'm talking How many of you are the primary driver in your family? How many of you like being the passenger? You don't. You're like, you, you're like you've got that, that phantom brake. Like, stop. You're, going, you're moving too Stop. 
Oh, Lord, please save us from the speed of my wife. Forgive her. She knows not what she does. God hears our prayers, the deepest longing. He says, oh, God, you who hear our prayers, to you shall all flesh come. The reality that we one day, our, our flesh shall die, and all flesh will go to the God who has created them. But look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, what does this God do? Iniquities is this word for sin. This, 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 when iniquities pursue me, when I've done what is wrong before God's sight, what does God do? Well, you should have done better. Sorry, it's been five times this month you've hit your quota. No more forgiveness. Right? Is that what God does? No, what does he do? He is a God who says, I will atone for your transgression. I will make right for your sins. You have transgressed. You've crossed the line of, of, of safety, a boundary. Some of us have personal bubbles. You know, I'm a hugger, and so as a pastor of a church, I have to like, I, I'm just like I saw Josh, he's just greeting everybody. He's like, but I'm a hugger. I'm like, what's up? And I hug people, and I realize I've transgressed the bubble line. You know, it's like, there's a, I have a friend who when I talk to him, if I step towards him, he'll actually move back a little bit, subtly. He's, I'm like, am I crossing your bubble? A little bit, yes. There's a comfort level there. Transgression is crossing over some line that has been established. God is holy, he is righteous, he is just. There is nothing wrong in him. There is nothing that, that he does that is unrighteous. And we cross that line all the time, but this is a God who says to you, your sins are atoned for. He's the God of salvation. He is also a God who is relational. He's a God that enjoys relationship. Look at verse number four. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be what? Satisfied with the goodness of your house the holiness of your temple. You see, relationship with God is not merited. The relationship with God is not primarily about doing X, Y, and Z, and then God receives you. No, God is a God who's relational. The reason why he, he called his people to have a tabernacle, when Moses said we're going to dwell with God, is going to dwell with us. He tabernacled, he tented with us. And then he builds a temple, and then God dwells with his people. And the reason that is is because God wants to be with his people relationally. He wants them to be with him and he with them. And it is a blessing that he says that God would draw near to us. And there's what? There's, there's what? When we move towards God and when God moves towards us, there's what? There's satisfaction. What does it mean to be satisfied? Well, um, Josh and I, Josh took me through the, the Buckskin Gulch Canyon uh, south of Utah, which is a beautiful area. And I'll tell you, after hiking 13 miles, I'd eat a leather boot. And my soul would be satisfied, throw some ketchup on that thing, and I was hungry. You, you know what it means to be really hungry, really thirsty? To be satisfied is like, ah, You've been working outside in the, the lawn all day and you're sweating and you're hot. You come into the air conditioning cool. Ah, your soul is satisfied. There's a rest there. God satisfies us when we are in his presence. 
He's also a God who's mighty. Look at verse number five. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. You see, the psalmist is recalling the mighty deeds that God did for the people of Israel and rescuing them out. Anytime in the Old Testament scriptures you see, O God of our salvation, it is always a thought of that one moment. Do you remember that moment when God was a God of your salvation? I do. I remember sitting on a bench outside of a clinic in Philadelphia where I had just accomplished something that I thought I would never accomplish. I'd done something that I said would never have done. There was a line that I set for myself. It's like, well, I may be a Christian, but at least I'll never do this. And then I kept erasing the line and moving and say, I won't do this. I kept transgressing the line. And then I finally got to a point where I'm sitting on a bench, grieved by what I had just done. And God's whisper in my ear was that, you know what? There are men who've done just what you've done, and I call them my children. You're not beyond grace. And that was the moment where I recognized that God was powerful enough to forgive me for this transgression. God is one who can rescue us out of salvation. And for the Israelites, for the the writer here, he's saying, you are the God who rescues us out of slavery. We are slaves to sin. We can't help it. Try today not to say something derogatory about somebody else. Try to do everything perfect today. Let us know if you do it. And then if you do it today, try to do it tomorrow. And then repeat that. You will be well loved, I promise you. But I promise you that won't be possible. You see, God is a mighty God. Look at what he does. He's the one who by his strength, in verse 6, established the mountains. He's the one who stills the roaring seas. He's the the one who's able to calm the thing that seems uncalmable. And in verse 7, he says, the tumult of the peoples, oftentimes the, the, the stirring of the waves, the waves high up and down, the stirring of this ocean, often was a metaphor for just the craziness of people in, in the world. Going after that, going after that, never being satisfied, always being stirred up, never calm, never still. But God is the one who calms the waves. Why does he do these mighty acts of salvation? Look at verse So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth, North Africa, Kazakhstan, China, North Korea, Australia, South America, Brazil, Hawaii, anyone would be in awe at the signs of this mighty God. He even makes the going out of the morning in the evening to shout for joy. The rising of the sun, the rising of the, the moon, the, the glorious splendor of the stars, they do that with joy. He's the one. He's the one that does that. So he is not only a God who saves, he is not only a God who is relational, he is only, not only a God who is mighty, but he's also a God who provides. And not just provides a little bit, he provides abundantly. Look at verse 9. What does he do? You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. You water its furrows abundantly. Can you see this picture? This picture of dry, scorched earth 
where all of a sudden rain comes. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've been to Utah once. This is my first time. And it's beautiful. It's majestic. I've seen the mountains. I'm like, wow, those are incredible. In fact, as we were driving, Josh and I were still, Josh talks about still being enamored by the mountains. And we're looking, and it's like, the, you know, the rumble strips start to go, I'm like, ah. You know, I, I drive, and I look out of the mountains, and I start to steer off because I'm, I'm just in awe. You see the wheat fields when water comes and just flourishes everything. And it's this picture of this abundant grain waving in the wind, just food for flocks, flocks and cows, and the land just produces food for animals. Animals produce meat. Meat provides barbecues, right? Everybody loves a barbecue except for vegans. And then, and then, but, but then you have vegan burgers, and so there's great joy. But God provides not only for his people, he provides this, this flourishing, this life, this growth, this abundant provision. Look at verse 13. In fact, he even gives, in verse 12, <laughs> the sense of joy. The hills gird themselves with joy. You look at God's provision, and it says there, just, there's joy there. That's... that's, that's uh, that's the, the way in which we should respond to God's abundant provision. With joy, they shout and they sing together with joy. You know, there is a God who is a Savior. There is a God who is relational. There's a God, there is a God who is mighty, and there is a God who provides abundantly. Do you know what his name is? It's a softball pitch. Just knock it out of the park. You should know his name. When he was asked, you know, who are you? Jesus said, well, you know what? Your forefathers, your great, great, great grandfathers knew who I was. They were looking for me. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know what? Your great-great-great-grandfather Abraham looked for me and saw me with joy. And they said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How are you saying that you knew that Abraham was looking for you? And Jesus says something so powerful that it makes everybody around him angry. Because he says this, he says, before Abraham was, I am. You see, the God in this psalm is Yahweh. Jesus is the physical manifestation. He is the exact representation. Paul says he is the image, the visible icon of the invisible God. Jesus essentially says, I am Yahweh present, incarnate with you right now. I am the God who saves. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You've seen the Father, Philip? You want to see the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the God who saves. I am the God who is with you relationally. I'm here. I'm present with you. I'm the God who is mighty. I'm the God who gives abundant provision. How, Jesus, do you do that? I will lay down my life for you. I will atone for you on the cross. I will pour out this blood that is shed for the remission of your sins. I am the God who atones for your transgression. I hear your prayer. I am a mighty God. I, no one, takes my life, but I give it willingly. 
and I will raise up my own life. No one raised Jesus up from the dead. The power of the Spirit of God raised himself up. I, can, I barely want to get out of my own bed from sleeping. I need coffee to wake me up. Jesus says, I can raise from the dead myself by my own power. Sin and death have no power over me. I am a mighty God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? To be able to raise yourself up from the dead. You can say amen to that. Be like, amen, yes. And he is an abundant, he is a God that provides abundantly. Peter, uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians says, blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with some things, a little bit. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, did I mistranslate that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. The inheritance that we as followers of Jesus have is no small inheritance. You see the mountains of Utah and the skies and the seas, all of it is ours. But more than that, more than that, do you know what is ours? Do you know what our inheritance is? The point and the purpose of the Christ, the Savior? The inheritance that we receive is God himself. We relationally get to be with our creator. You see, the longing of our soul is fully satisfied when we are in relationship with our creator. A pastor in North Africa a long time ago, his name is Augustine, said this, our souls are restless until we find our rest in you. And he was speaking from personal experience. And I speak from personal experience. And I tell you that your soul will be restless until they find their soul, not in vocation, not in wealth, not in material possessions, not in Allah, not in any other person or God other than Jesus Christ. He alone is the one that satisfies our soul. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Perhaps maybe... Uh, You've been following Jesus for a long time and you've forgotten that it is the person of Jesus, not the things, not the doing of ministry, not the accomplishments. Maybe you just have forgotten that it is him who satisfies and you've not spent much time with him. Maybe, maybe this morning is the time that you need to, to reorient again to the person of Christ and to pursue him so that your soul might find rest. Maybe you're here. I don't know if this is your first time second time, fifth try, whatever, but you're wrestling with the idea of whether you really trust that Jesus is who he said he is. Because there's so many uh, stories out there of who will save and what can save you. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus is looking a lot better than other stories. You see, Jesus is the one who offers you grace. It's by grace that you've been saved. There's nothing, you need to do nothing to save yourself. Jesus has done all the work. And he promises you to give you life to the fullest if you'll just trust him by faith and give your life to him. Won't you do that this morning? And maybe some of you are just straight up skeptical and you're like, you know what? This sounds good. I, I'll, I'll chew on it for a while. Good. Father, I pray that by your spirit you might soften our hearts to hear the things that you, you would have us hear this morning. Let us not forget that you are a God who saves. Jesus, you are a God who saves. We thank you. You are a God that is mighty. We thank you. 
Jesus, you are a God that provides abundantly. You have provided us with life eternal. What more could we ask for? We love you, and we pray these things in your name.